Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 23. Take your notes out. You brought your pens this week, right? Ready to fill in the blanks. Well, we are, we are for sure starting a difficult passage of Scripture. If you have the King James translation, there are eight woes. Uh, if you have something other than that, or the ESV, there's seven woes. But even though we're preaching, and I'm preaching out of the ESV, we'll, we'll look at the King James Version for the, uh, the woe that would, is left out by the other translations. It's in the Scripture today. It's verse 14. If you've got something other than King James, King James is not the only one that's got it, but uh, King James has got it. But a lot of the, the more modern translations has, has decided this wasn't a part of the original translation transcript and that's that's why they've left it out but i think it's worthy to to teach so shutting up the kingdom of heaven that's how i titled today's message because in many ways that's exactly what the modern church is doing i'm, I'm telling you i love you moving targets uh i'm used to looking here for 15 years and last week I had to look over here, and this week I'm having to look over here. Y'all know who I'm, who I'm talking about, right? So uh, I love it, though. I, I, I just got to find out where the target's at and, and kind of hone in on it. So shutting up the kingdom of heaven. And that's what these uh, Pharisees were, were charged with. People were there to get into the kingdom of heaven, and they were keeping them out of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm telling you, that's happening today in many cases. There are people that are inquiring about the Lord that I think are being kept out of the kingdom of heaven by faulty evangelism methods. And we're going to look at that today. So let me read verses 13, 14, and 15 for you again. And, and it, if, you're, if you have a modern translation, I'm going to read 14, and, and I'll, get, I'll tell you that's the King James Version. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Last week, we looked at uh, Christ uh, exhorting the people to observe the doctrine of the Pharisees but not to follow their evil examples. We looked at Jesus addressing the people and the apostles. We also looked that we're not to follow any teacher who sets a bad example. The people were being asked to do things that the leaders would not do themselves. These leaders were proud and attention seekers. They wanted recognized and esteemed. Now listen to this. The greatest in the church are those who are willing to humble themselves and serve others. That's what Jesus' words say. 
And those who humble themselves to serve others will be exalted at just the right time. Amen. So in verses 13 through 33, he pronounces eight woes against them for their blindness and their hypocrisy. You know, it's a, it is a very condemning word when Jesus uses the term hypocrisy. It's a very condemning word when anybody uses it towards us and calls us a hypocrite. I've shared with you in the past, that's the last word I want to hear from my wife is the word hypocrite. But we can be hypocrites. We can be blind to what we're doing. Verses 34 through 39, the prophecies of the destruction of Jerusalem, and that will lead us right up to chapter 24 of, of Matthew. But you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. I'm, I'm not going to, but there has been great exposition of this Matthew 23 by just going through Matthew 1 through 12 and the Beatitudes and contrasting the Beatitudes against the woes, okay? And it's interesting. It's surely interested and, and applicable enough for us to go back as close as it is and look at those 12 verses in chapter 5. Now, this is a way that a man is blessed, amen? This is, you live this way and you won't hear woes, you'll hear, you'll hear blessed. So it says there, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just quickly, blessed are those who know that they're spiritually bankrupt if it were not for Christ and his work on the cross. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You, we are blessed people if we have a conscience that brings our sinfulness to our mind and that, that conscience causes us to mourn over our sinfulness. We are blessed people. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, man, great example of that this week. Blessed are you. Blessed will be the person who takes low and does not have to have his way. Blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look at the promise. For they will be satisfied, they'll be filled. When we seek after righteousness and hunger after righteousness, God says, I'll take care of that. I'll bless you with that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We need to be gracious towards one another. Amen? We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Blessed are the pure in, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those that are not double-minded. Blessed are those that are trying to live a life that wouldn't be hypocritical. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who work for peace and unity among the brethren. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We haven't had much of that. I promise you more is coming. More is coming. More persecution. More loss of jobs. More not getting a job. More shunned. It's coming. Because we are standing on God's word. It's the truth and the world is not. And when we stand on it, that just tells them 
it's, it's kind of like the, the writer of I've decided to follow Jesus, you know. Man, if, if you're standing on that and, and you're so hated for standing on that, you're just telling those people who are opposed to God's Word, it's probably true. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they also persecuted the prophets who were before them. That's the blessed life. And we're looking in contrast to that, to the woeful life. Here in Matthew 23, he pronounces eight woes. Listen to this. Not on the common folk, but on the leaders, the religious, the, the spiritual leaders, uh, the religious leaders. Uh, and I tell you, and, and truly, 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 you need to pray for Tom and, and Pablo and myself. You need to pray for Bob and Nellie. You need to pray for Lewis and Laura. You need to, t- to pray for, for, uh, for Russ and, 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 and for Jimmy that, that fill in and teach. You need to pray for us. We have a great responsibility. Pray for us that we would not be hypocrites in what we preach. Pray for us that we'd preach the truth in great opposition, in the face of great opposition. Last week, we looked at a gathering of the people. Yeah, so here's what Spurgeon thinks happened. The gathering of the people, and he got through gathering, and the Pharisees have gathered around again to see what all's going on. And now Jesus begins to address them. And he, he stands in the temple to do so. And he stands in the temple and looks at, the, looks at those who have been re, given responsibility for teaching the people. And he begins to speak to them. And he denounces the errors of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in a stern fashion. Wow. Praise God. The only, the only one I've kind of heard speak in these kind of terms is uh, James that used to be with us. He was pretty stern in his teaching. But thankfully in 30 years, I've not, I've not, I've not used this type of language in addressing anybody. And, and surely you wouldn't use that kind of language in addressing the people. But God surely, Christ here, surely addressed the leadership that way, did he not? So you see the terrible responsibility? Not all of you should, should presume to be teachers, my, my brothers, because you know that those who teach will what? Be judged more strictly. It, it doesn't matter if you're teaching the toddlers or teaching the kids over here or teaching the adults. You have been given, these people have been given the privilege of breaking open the Word of God to these people. Listen to this. Eight times he says, whoa. Y'all listening? Seven times he says, hypocrites. Twice he calls them blind guides. Twice he calls them blind fools. Once he says, you snakes... And you brood of vipers. What a solemn lesson is being taught here. I'm talking about this as a solemn lesson for leaders and teachers. It ought to make us tremble. 
the hypocritical, hypocritical and abominable spirit that teachers can have. Y'all with me? Now look, these scribes and Pharisees and lawyers, these religious leaders, they're men. Just like all of us that are teaching in the church today are. And we are subject to being hypocritical people. So we need your what? Prayers. I promise you we'll teach better. I promise you, you'll think I preach better when you pray for me, and I will. Today we'll look at the first three woes. Here's what they are. Making salvation hard for people. Making salvation hard for people. Number two, by deception, taking advantage of widows. And number three, making people twice as much a child of hell. And that's where I'm going to end up today. So making salvation hard for people, by deception, taking advantage of widows. And number three, making people twice as much a child of hell. And I'm telling you, America, in my opinion, from going to funerals and from visiting with people and watching people, America are, is full of people who are twice a child of hell. In your program today, there's a, uh, in, in your program, just, just flip over to the next page after the, the two on the sermon. It starts out saying, oh, how dreadful. Are y'all looking at that? Oh, how dreadful the thought to go to hell through the church of God. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for the fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So we're looking at that figure, but skip down to the next verse that says, No place. No place is as dangerous for an unconverted person as the church of God. It is to be feared that many who join the church before they're truly converted, and yet very, very few are ever converted afterwards. So let me tell you what that means. People get in the church and they're not saved, but they feel a security. Amen? Hey, just look at the uh, just look at the obituaries. Most of them will have then they were members of such and such church, and they may not have been there for thirty years. There's some security in being in the church. There's some security in having said a prayer. There's some security in having been baptized. And listen to me: none of those three things, nor all of them will save you. So these people sit in church, they get a little bit under conviction, and they'll think about saying a prayer, or they'll think about getting baptized, or they'll think about they're a member of the church. And I'm telling you, that did not come from a good conscience. That came from the devil. So preaching goes right over their head. Verse 13, 
But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You know what they had done? They had missed seeing Jesus as the Messiah. Amen? So they missed him. And so because they missed him, they couldn't show him to anybody else. Luke eleven fifty two, Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, you hindered them. God has committed the key of knowledge to elders, pastors, and teachers of His church. He has committed the gospel to, to those people, elders, pastors, teachers, people in the church, that they might share Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior with lost people. Listen, Jesus is the only door into the kingdom of heaven. Y'all with me? There's not another door. There's not a window to go through. There's not a wall you can go over. There's not a mountain to go around. Jesus is the only door to heaven. Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So they were messengers, or should have been messengers of Jesus. Malachi 2.7 For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I don't care if you're teaching the toddlers, or I don't care if you're teaching the kids, or the youth, or teaching the adults. You are a messenger to the people to tell them about Jesus. <clears throat> to preach the gospel. Repent. Believe the gospel. And prove your repentance by growing in grace and holiness and living a transformed life. This is the way to the kingdom of heaven. And these people were pretending to be teachers and openers of the door to the kingdom of heaven when indeed they shut it up. They didn't preach Jesus. They didn't teach Jesus. They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, so they couldn't teach it to anybody else. Listen, it, it, it's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing in the evangelical church when you've got people who do not know what the gospel is they don't know that the gospel is the bad news, that I'm a sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ is the Savior, lived the perfect life. They don't know about repentance. They don't, they don't know about believing and turning to God in faith. We have people in, in classes teaching that don't know what the gospel is. Uh. If I said us, I don't believe that's the case for us. But I believe there's many teachers in most churches that do not know the gospel message. And he sent us these people to eternal damnation. Woe. Woe. 
you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Okay, they wouldn't go in themselves. They didn't want anybody else to go in. Since they didn't go in themselves, they couldn't lead anybody else in the door, could they? Are y'all with me? Unless you're a follower of Jesus, you can't teach somebody else how to be a follower of Jesus. You surely can't show them. They did not heed the voice of John the Baptist. What did he say? Prepare. Get ready. Make way. Behold the Lamb of God. They refused the Messiah when he came to them. Look at John. I've got it down there. Just listen to me. If you want to look it up, you can. That's why I put it in this way. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. These leaders had not received Christ, so they couldn't pass people. Look, they could. Y'all get the picture now. They hadn't received Christ as the Messiah. People came to them looking for the Messiah, but they couldn't pass the Messiah on to them because they didn't have him. You know what? Teachers, elders, pastors, you need to be sure that they've got a Jesus to share. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! If you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Listen, the Lord was not here condemning long prayer. It says in Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer. But what he was condemning was using, somebody using long prayer to influence people, to impress people. That's what he was doing. These prayers that they were doing were a, quote, show And this scripture teaches it was a show to impress and lure the older women there to give what they had to them. That's what the scripture is talking about. They were taking advantage of the women of the church. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I don't have it either, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Listen, men, this is a condemning scripture. It's surely a condemning scripture for leaders in the church. Listen, 2 Timothy 3, 6. For among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Religious leaders can have the tendency to take advantage of women. That's what the warning is here. It should be a warning to us today. Does that not happen almost every day that so we hear someplace in America that that's happened? And you know, if it could happen to these guys, are we capable of it? Absolutely. So what do we need? We need your prayers. You need to be watching over us. They persuaded weak women to give them their estates. To give it in the name of religion. Making them promises for more prayers. And so what our Savior is doing here 
is accusing them of having a greedy spirit. Uh, one of the warnings is about picking a covetous person to lead the church. You don't want a greedy person leading the church. That's what these men were. So, they made salvation hard for the people. And by deception, they were taking advantage of the widows. Let's look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Mm. Bringing people into the church other than by the door Turn to John 10, 9. Listen carefully what I'm going to say now. and th- th- Because this is setting up the, the rest of what I'm going to say to you today. Bringing people into the church other than by the door will make them twice a child of hell. Listen to John 10, 9. I'm the door. If any enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. He elaborates on this greatly. Uh, Got up close to the gates of heaven, wanted to know how you got in here. Come over the wall. Did you go through the window? Just because you, you, somebody let you into the church, if you didn't come in through the door of Jesus Christ, you're not saved. <clears throat> they corrupted their proselytes both in doctrine and manners. They made them twice more the children of the devil. And and, and really, what speaks to me about this is, what this is really saying is they're two times more likely to go to hell than they were. They would have been better off not to have been exposed to some type of uh, watered-down religion. That doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. A proselyte was one who, coming from some pagan nation, gave up their idols and worshipped the one true and living God. Now listen to this today, a proselyte. A proselyte today would be someone who gets a little bit under conviction are emotionally stirred up, and they come forward, somebody leads them to say a sinner's prayer, and they get baptized, but they never embrace Jesus, and they never become a follower of Jesus. 
they had become a follower of someone's opinion, but they had not become followers of Jesus. Listen, I don't find in the Scripture that followers of Jesus are called proselytes. I find that they're called disciples, followers of Jesus. Brought into the church by any number of steps. We have three. The Church of Christ has seven. Can anybody stand and give me the seven Church of Christ steps? Okay. They have seven. I could get close, but I, I can't give them to you. But they got seven. We got three. It doesn't matter if you got three or got seven. If you're taking steps to get into the kingdom of God, you're probably in trouble. What are ours? Come forward, say a prayer, get baptized. It's not any better or any worse than their seven steps. <clears throat> a proselyte today is someone who thinks they're a good person, have done many good things, but have never admitted their sinfulness and need for a Savior. That's just someone that's come to follow an opinion not to follow the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have united with the church through baptism or a profession of faith, coming forward, saying the sinner's prayers, and getting baptized. But our Savior says that the scribes and Pharisees, they looked over the sea and the land to make one proselyte. Just one person that would come along and buy into their opinions. And then they made them twofold more the child of hell than before. They corrupted these proselytes with their false doctrine and setting him bad examples. Listen, if your religious business is anything other then to turn men from their sins and turn men to Christ, you're wrong. They were about converting men to their opinion. And listen, never regarding their souls again. never pressing upon them the reformation of their lives that they might confirm and prove their salvation. You don't reform. Your lives don't change to save you. But your lives that are reformed and changed to look more like Jesus is confirmation that you are saved. So, summary. Today we're looking at a modern day shutting up of the kingdom of heaven that happens every day in what I would call the, quote, new evangelical church. The new evangelical church. A believism that never leads to an examination. 
2 Corinthians 13, 5, and I'll read these to you. Uh, I'll read these to you now, and uh, we won't have to come back to them uh, in a minute. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. You don't have to. I'll do my best to read it verbatim. And it says in this, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Never once in the Scripture is a person told, remember that day you came forward? Write it down in your book. Remember that day you said a prayer? Write it down in your book. Remember that day you got baptized? Write it down in your book. You are never told to look back at what you've done to know if you're saved or not. The Scripture says, look at your life and see if Jesus Christ is the center of your life. That's when you know you're saved. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. It's another one. And it says this. Second. Th- Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not saying work to be saved. Listen to what it says, though. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do you know what that means? If we're saved, we're going to begin to do those things of transforming our life and becoming the follower of Jesus that He would have us to be. And we don't do it on our own power. We do it through Christ who lives in us. That's what, that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for what you might have done. You're looking to see if Jesus lives here. In James 2.17... James was a pastor. And, and you know, does God know where the Christ lives in my heart or not? Does God know that? Yeah. <clears throat> because God is omniscient. But do you know that God lives in my heart? Not unless you see evidence that He lives in me and He's changing my life. That's the only way a human being knows it. James 2.17, you know what it says. Listen to James 2.17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A believism. Listen. That often leads to licentiousness. Let me me get that down to South Arkansas language. A life that leads to open rebellion and sexual immorality. We'll get there just in a second. Today we've seen the first three of eight woes, making salvation hard for people, by deception taking advantage of widows, making people twice as much a child of hell, making salvation hard for the people. Listen, when you don't show them and tell them what the gospel is, there's no way for them to get into heaven. 
Somebody say amen. Listen, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? First of all, the little boy had it right, I'm a sinner. That's the bad news. The bad news goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news says in Romans chapter 5, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were the very enemies of God, what's it say? Christ died for sinners. That's the good news. So how do you, how do you take hold of that good news? He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God, look, is right here. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. Oh, 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 please know that surely we're not so far removed from those guys down at the jail that 99 out of the 100 times they get it right when I say, before you got locked up and came in here, whose direction were you going? They all know the right answer. I was going my direction. Listen, repentance is a two-phase thing. First of all, because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago, you're not going to get him to do anything, but because of what he's done and the mess you've made of your life, he calls for us to change direction, stop going our way and go his way. And the second thing is, there's some things we've been doing in our life, lying, thieving, drunkenness, Sexual immorality, there's some things we've been doing in life we can't do anymore because we know those very things we, that we might be doing. Kill Christ. Repent. And believe the gospel. Look, look to that cross and know that everything that had to happen for your forgiveness and salvation, it happened right there. And put all your faith, hope, and trust and confidence in that. Without that message, people can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't open the door without a key. And that's the gospel message. You can't help people find Jesus if you don't have him. The sinner's prayer is not the gospel, and the sinner's prayer does not save. And listen, let me go on. By deception, stealing the people, pretending to be holy and caring, caring nothing about the soul. Listen, when it's all about producing numbers, baptism, membership numbers, and bigger budgets, that's all out of greed. Listen, we shouldn't be worrying about more money, more people, more baptisms. We need to be worrying about the souls of the people that are here. And if we are not concerned about your soul, you need to be getting new elders. They weren't concerned about those widows. They just wanted to to horn in so they could get what they had. The third, making people twice as much a child of hell. People who think they are saved, but tragically lost and headed for hell. Listen to me. I don't just stay behind this pulpit. I don't just 
hang around with you guys. I go places. And I watch. And I watch kids. I watch grandkids. I watch adults in America. Listen to me. People who think they are saved, but tragically lost and headed for hell. So I have declared war, the best I know how, on easy believism and preaching a gospel that makes people twice the child of the devil. And what I'm talking about, steps to get into the kingdom of God. There's only one way to get into the kingdom of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we have denomination after denomination, especially the Southern Baptist denomination, that just keeps on using that evangelism method that makes most of them twice the child of hell. I detest modern evangelism, easy believism, that America and prosperity preachers have carried all over the world. You know where they, you know where they got this believism, prosperity gospel in Africa? They got it from Americans and watching Americans on TV. They didn't get it from God's Word. <clears throat> Getting people to come forward, say a prayer, and counting them safe forever. I, I'll never forget. Got a phone call one morning. We had revival last night. We had 20 people saved. Y'all can imagine how quiet I got on the phone. You know how many of those 20 people showed up at church the next Sunday? But they left there counted what? Huh? What'd they leave that revival counted as? They done filled out a decision card. couple of warnings for you. Not everybody's going to heaven. You just pick up Luke chapter 16, go down to about verse 19, and read me about Lazarus and the rich man and tell me everybody's going to heaven. It ain't true. Preachers better be preaching the gospel. Repent. Believe and trust in Jesus. And then prove you and your new nature by looking at the before and the after. Is your life beginning to change? Okay, so let me give you an example from 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And you want me to go to Ephesians and Colossians, and I just read Revelation 21 today. You want me to go to Revelation? You want me to read you from three or four or more accounts? These will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we have got an America full of people, adults, 
from my age on down who have, have bought into this Evie believism. They're living with somebody that they're not married to, have for years, plan on continuing that way, and yet if you ask them, they'd tell you they were saved because they believed in Jesus. And the historians would say and the Drace Gems would say, they'll probably never repent and believe. Romans 6, 1. So here, here it is. This is... A lot of people have thrown Romans. They tear, I know several different denominations that they get to Romans and they tear it out and they get to Galatians and they tear it out. They don't like those two books. So this very thing happened in the day of Paul, right? So he's preaching this. And he's preaching about being... Uh, you're, you're forgiven of your sins, past and present and future sins, and you, you know you're free, you're not controlled by sin anymore. And somebody says, so, wow, man, I can just go on living like I want to. What did Paul, what did Paul say? God forbid it. Now look, I'm telling you, I think we have a mandate. Listen to me carefully. We have a mandate Surely we have a mandate for those that might be in our church, and I don't know of any right now that might be living that kind of lifestyle. We have a mandate to go to them and tell them that from what we see, we're concerned about their soul. We have friends that we work with. We have co-workers. We have friends. We have an adult family members that are living in known and willful sin, we have a mandate, we have a scriptural mandate to go and say, look, I want to show you what the scripture is saying. I'm begging you to repent of your sins and turn to God for faith and forgiveness. And then our own kids and our own grandkids. Because we're not worried about their happiness today, are we? We're worried about their souls where? There you go. And, and look, don't say you love these people and you know the truth of God's Word and you, you don't share it with them. And then Matthew seven twenty one through 23, this is condemning as it gets for people... And for preachers, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus. We know he's not talking about, you won't get into heaven unless you keep my word, keep my laws, and do them perfectly. We know he's not talking about that. But what he is talking about, just because you said a prayer, just because you might uh, say, Lord, or I believe in Jesus, that's no proof of your salvation. Are you about doing the will of God? And then preachers, how about this? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, preach in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Let me ask you, are you intimate? with Jesus Christ. 
Do you love him? Do you spend time with him? Do you talk to him? Does he know you? My sheep hear my voice. Does he know your voice? Is he familiar with it? I love you guys so much. Let me leave leave you with five things. We're all going to die. Man, went to Ed's, did Ed's funeral out at Sunshine Cemetery out towards Mount Carmel. It's not a big cemetery. It's not a small cemetery. It's not a big cemetery. I mean, they were fresh graves everywhere. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There was lots of red dirt turned up. Brandon's funeral home, they did 180 funerals this last year. Most they'd ever done. Hey, mark it down. They'll do more every year for the next several years. We may not all get back here next Sunday. Do you know Jesus? Have you embraced him? Do you love him? Does he live in you? Are you his? God bless you.